Good morning, Forest Grove. It's always good to be here. Uh, you guys are family. This is home. <clears throat> and you guys uh, sent us out 32 years ago. Hard to believe that that much time has gone by since we first went to Colombia. Uh, and I don't even want to imagine what life would have been like without having Forest Grove uh, journey with us in, in those 32 years. You guys have been so faithful as partners, as family. It's been like a long walk in the same direction uh, where you have prayed with us, encouraged us, um, financially supported us as a total package of love. And so it's just a, a huge honor to consider ourselves members and part of this great Forest Grove family. In particular, this past year with <clears throat> Joan's uh, cancer treatment, your prayers and encouragement notes uh, really helped Joan not only survive, which we're very thankful for, but also to, uh, to thrive, really, in spite of the pain and uh, the struggle and all the ugly stuff that cancer brings. So it was a difficult year, to be sure, but one that has brought us many special lessons. Uh, one main one was just learning to let go. We'll talk a little bit about that and how I think that uh, will shape us for the rest of our lives. Speaking of letting go, when we talk about 32 years on the mission field, uh, that if you add up the numbers, we're probably getting close to retirement. And so our, our Matthew Training Center board started to uh, encourage us to think about succession a few years ago. We started to pray into that and uh, asking God to show us, you know, who would be next in line to, to uh, take over the MTC. And the Lord brought uh, to mind uh, Tomas. Uh, he was a student of ours in Colombia. He's pastoring right now. Uh, helping lead the Mihuko program that we started there years ago. And him and his wife, Melody, have uh, discerned and prayed along with their church community uh, to join us. And so they're going to be coming uh, next summer to, uh, to work with us and hopefully take over as the directors. We are thrilled that God has brought this uh, valuable couple. They love discipleship. They love mission. And they're going uh, to be a great asset. We also uh, uh, discovered there's another couple that wants to come and work with us, and uh, his name is Eliasar. He's from Mexico. Uh, he went through all the training programs with us, and he started to tell us uh, early on that when I, at some point in life, I'm going to come back here and work with you guys. He really loved what we were doing, and so he finished his university degree. He went to Bible school in uh, Paraguay, met his wife Shyla there, and uh, they also are going to be coming to join us uh, next summer. So we've got two new couples and possibly others that will be working with our team uh, to, to take us maybe to new levels and, and new vision. Uh, we have three new disciples that are waiting for Joan and I to come back to Canada and to start discipling them. Uh, they are our grandchildren. Uh, they were all born to, uh, to our kids last year, and uh, we are thrilled to come back and uh, start to uh, a new season, I guess, of making disciples with them and with our kids. Uh, for those of you who aren't grandparents yet, wait. It's a great life. Uh, so, that probably will happen in the next two or three years. 
So that's, uh, that's a little summary of where we're at. I want to give welcome to the, uh, the gathering on Broadway as they're going to be joining us uh, in this time as we talk about discipleship by community and discipleship in community uh, along with your theme, Follow Me. So a little bit of groundwork to get us going. Uh, Jesus had some principles in spreading the gospel that we can't just assume we all know. So he did not compel belief. He did not force people into believing. He did not manipulate people. What he did was he attracted people. He drew people to himself. And we want to be doing that as community. He sparked intrigue by his values, his counter-cultural lifestyle. It intrigued and, and it even offended some people. He lived his teachings. He didn't have to just stand up and, and teach them all the time and preach them. He lived them. And this often led to people asking him questions. <clears throat> and Jesus never really focused on growth strategies, but rather on a deeply formed spirituality so that his words and his actions, they just kind of f- flowed together resulting in this invitational testimony to Christ's presence. And we want to we lean into that as we talk about community. <clears throat> Ellen Kreider, in his book, A Patient Ferment of the Early Church, says that the main reason the first Christians captured the hearts and minds of the Roman pagans, who were actually persecuting them, was because of their visible, transformed lives. Visible, transformed lives. Uh, we want to we understand how we as a community can be more visible. So what role does the community have in making disciples? I want to share with you a few verses that, as a starting point. First one comes from John 20. It's kind of like the Great Commission for the book of John. Jesus, at the end of His ministry, says to them, As the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. And I think the key word here to understand what Jesus is saying is the word as. In other words, he's saying, in the same manner that I made disciples. Just as I made disciples, go and do the same. So we need to examine how he made disciples. And and I want to give you a heads up. He made disciples in the context of mission. In the context of lost people is where he went and made disciples with his community. John 15, the vine and the branches. Um, Just read the last part there. Where uh, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. We cannot do this alone. The life of a disciple is connected to the vine, to Jesus, and to the other branches, to each other. And then in Matthew 22, uh, a uh, well-known... Verses, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing in that one? How are we loving our neighbor How are we loving our neighbor in our society if the only time we see them is when we take out the garbage? And maybe not even then. So how does discipleship happen by community, the people out there, and in community, 
to ourselves. <clears throat> Two things. First of all, living as a community with Jesus being our model, with Jesus being our example, must be visible in the world to show another way in order to attract them. Because the community that we are a part of is actually dynamite. It is something very powerful. Jesus said, be in the world. Are we in the world with our testimony, with our witness? As a community? Be in the world, but not of the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we do this in community, it will be an attractive, powerful force. Doing community only in seclusion, only with believers surrounded by four walls, seems almost selfish. And I get it that we need to be in community with each other to build each other up. That's, that's very important. But community life is normally a rich experience. So when we share that with others, it will have an impact on them for the gospel. And we need to work hard then at bringing our community to the lost and, and not just bringing the lost to our church community. We need to discover new forms of gathering together so that we have as a community will be visible to our neighbors and friends in order to be an effective witness of the Jesus way. One church group describes it as a third place. So they say as we need to gather as missionaries in a third place. This is where your community becomes intentionally orientated around those who don't know Jesus. And it needs to be in a neutral and natural space. So maybe we need to ask the question, where do people already spend time and just naturally go? And how can we gather there as well? A third place, uh, a third place creates space where people can belong before they believe. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus invested most of his discipleship, uh, his disciple making time, not hunkered down in a cave uh, with the twelve in a, by the Sea of Galilee teaching them Bible studies, but rather he spent the majority of his time out on mission, focusing on the lost people. The disciples were with him, but he was focusing on the lost people, and in particular, three groups of people. The multitudes, teaching and preaching to them. The religious leaders that came up and they were asking these deceptive questions about certain doctrines. And then there were the interrupters, people who came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've, my son is sick, come to my house and heal him and other miracles, and casting out demons. And so Jesus would change his agenda for that day in order to attend to these lost people. It seems like we often miss this about Jesus' discipleship model. Remember the verse, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. That he focused more on the lost, those in the world, with his kingdom message and compassion for physical needs. But while he was doing that, he brought his disciples along with him to teach them, to train them, to make them into disciples that would go and reproduce themselves and make others. He did mission with his community of 12. And then he told us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, in my paraphrase, as you are going around doing your daily business, reach out to the lost, whether you are a carpenter, a teacher, or whatever, reach out to the lost wherever you are and make disciples of them. 
You see, you cannot be followers. Follow me. You cannot be followers of Jesus and not make disciples. One key mark of a disciple of Jesus is disciple making. And when you reflect the character of Jesus by loving people and caring for them and, and listening to their stories and, and pain and struggles and fears, you'll have lots of opportunity to speak into their lives. We just need to be out there in, in their space to be able to do this. Joan found herself in a unique space this, this last year for over eight months on a cancer ward with 19 other uh, cancer patients. And she had many opportunities to not only pray for other cancer patients and, and just be Jesus with them. Uh, on one occasion, this lady walked by, Joan's in her chair, she's got the chemo drug going into her arm, and this lady stops and just kind of looks right at, at, at Joan and says, what is with you? You're just radiant. And Joan goes, whoa, well, I'm going through the same struggle and pain that you are, but it, it, it's not me, it's Jesus in me. Oh, that's a bold answer, she says. And a few minutes later, another lady walks by. And exactly the same thing, stops and says, whoa, what's going on with you? Like you're just shining. And Joan says, it must be Jesus in me. And she goes, oh, oh, now I understand. Joan was also in, in uh, Turkey a couple years ago. Marley is here. She was helping organize this BL4P. And uh, so Joan found herself in this camp with 50 non-believers from different faiths uh, living together in community, discussing peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, sleeping in dorms together, and friendships formed. And Joan continues to have uh, some very deep relationships with these ladies uh, two years later, where community became the main factor in bringing people to see Jesus lived out out of that community in Middle Eastern conflict areas. Doing community together with people out there greatly enhances the impact. And when they see and experience community, community love, community compassion, encouragement, sharing, uh, putting others first, I guess it is something that so few have experienced that they're just kind of overwhelmed by it and are drawn to it and ultimately to Jesus. And that's what's happened in Turkey. Community with Jesus as the model and center will attract others to it if they can only experience it. And that is the challenge for all of us as a community of believers to transport what we have here in the larger community and also in smaller groups, to transport it out there to be visible. I think the Thessalonian church got this. Paul commended them in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.8. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. What must we do at the gathering on Broadway, here in Atridge and the North Site as Forest Grove communities, for this to be said about our church? That our faith in God has become known 
everywhere. Our testimony grows exponentially when done in community. <clears throat> in July, a church from Vancouver wanted to come to Guadalajara and, and do a missions trip. And so I asked one of our former students if he would lead that team. And he said yes. And, and he said, you know, the, my life was really impacted by that two-week mission and discipleship a DMH training that we led several years ago, and he said, I'd like to resurrect that and invite some more Mexican participants and put them together with the Canadians, and we'll go out and do ministry together. So I said, for sure. And then he came to me and he says, and I also would like to invite uh, a few non-believers, non-Jesus followers, to be a part of our team. And I said, so you want to use non-followers of Jesus to reach non-followers of Jesus? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and when I was teaching at Bethany, I was teach using a book that I came across this principle of belonging before believing. And it made sense to me, and so I encouraged them to do it. And so <clears throat> we had 15 participants, four of them non-believers, and then our Canadians. And we treated everyone as a team. And so when we prayed, we all prayed. They prayed. When we worshipped, they worshipped. When we broke away to be by ourselves, to listen to Jesus, to journal, they did that and they came back and they shared. When we started ministering to each other, they were right in there ministering to each other. It was, it was a beautiful thing to see. And at some point in those two weeks, they fell in love with Jesus. Because they saw Jesus for the first time in lived out in community. They saw Jesus in, in every kind of way that you can imagine, uh, not just in, in Bible studies, but in fun. And uh, they, they became followers of Jesus. And to hear their testimony two weeks later in the closing ceremony, it was just beautiful to see how they discovered Jesus through community, through each other. You see, they belonged to a community, and that led them to believe. They witnessed community at its best, and that pointed them to Jesus, and they chose to believe. You see, Christian faith was first a lifestyle before it was a belief system. A guy named Juan from Bogota, Colombia, his mother said, we're going to go to the swimming pool. He was five years old. And instead of taking him to the swimming pool, she took him to an orphanage and dropped him off and never returned. And he stayed in this state orphanage until he was in his 20s. A family that we know in Colombia went, went to this orphanage, became friends with him, kind of adopted him, and then asked if he could, uh, they brought him to uh, Adime training this past January. He spent six months with us. And in the first month, he's starting to tell us, I'm discovering Jesus for the first time. I'm discovering Jesus here in this community. Not just in Bible studies, but washing dishes at the dinner table, playing soccer, lifting weights, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And he became a follower of Jesus because he experienced Jesus in community. If people are given an opportunity to belong to our community, <clears throat> I bet they will start to believe in Jesus. 
Community has so much power and attraction when Jesus is the source and impetus of the community that it can actually point the lost towards Jesus. So I think we need to be creative. Maybe as home group leaders, we should take the initiative to host a neighborhood meal instead of a Bible study. Eating together frees people to be people. You don't have to act a certain way or have a certain knowledge set to eat hamburgers or veggie samosas. You don't need to have listened to a sermon or follow a curriculum. Anyone should feel welcomed and comfortable at a neighborhood meal. Community can lead people to Jesus if they have an opportunity to belong to a community. You have that opportunity to invite people in to community. And number two, quickly, living in community with Jesus being our model will deeply impact and transform us, us, the members of that community. This is the second benefit for community. It's for us. Discipleship doesn't happen effectively with just you and God. That might surprise you a bit. It takes a community to raise a disciple. A community should be a place where believers connect with each other on a soul level, and in doing so, spur each other on to a deeper relationship with God and to become more like Jesus. There should be lots of fun in community, but there's also going to be some discomfort, some pain. That's what happens when you spur each other on. We need to create a space to be in each other's face if we are going to be a genuine community. A community is more than just individual friendships. It's an atmosphere of deep relationships where we will need to be okay with having our weaknesses exposed, being vulnerable, and ultimately trusting others to participate in our messes and our muddles, our confessions and our confusion, and everything else. In such a community, believers authentically challenge each other toward being like Christ. And this requires time and effort and most certainly accountability. Horace Grove, are you ready for this? I'm sure many of you are involved in this. But if you truly want to become more like Christ, follow Him. This is the path to be in a community that is vulnerable and open to each other. You don't get to be fed at a table for one. When push comes to shove, what is in the well will come up in the bucket. And genuine community will expose one's defects and then work with you to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And that is the beauty of community. It isn't neat and tidy and pretty. Sometimes it's ugly, nasty, and dirty. And that is the process of being transformed. A genuine community like this may be the only place where this kind of transformation can happen. And we see this all the time in MTC because people come and live with us for for six months. And it's so beautiful to see the transformation that happens in people's lives. It seems like many church communities today have become little more than gatherings of isolated people. Together, but not a lot of interconnectedness. Together, but lonely. Together, but not dependent on each other. Technology has connected us more than ever, making us more accessible, but at the same time, less personal. And Jesus modeled community by inviting 12 people to be with Him 
Mark 3.14 is a verse on the screen. What a beautiful invitation that Jesus gave His disciples to be with Him. Not to a program, but to, to a relationship. Did Jesus ever do anything with one disciple just by Himself? I, don't, I can't remember. I think most times Jesus did things with the three, with the twelve, with the seventy, with the one twenty, and with the multitudes. He lived in community. He ministered in community. And one of our goals as followers of Jesus is to become like Him. Ephesians 4.13 says it this way, to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. How many of us are there? To reach that level, we are going to need a lot of help. And that is what community is for. Effective discipleship, I think, primarily happens in community. Maybe the biggest obstacle to forming community is the busy world that we ourselves have formed. We need to find ways and time to be together. So to form community, it will have to be intentional. It will have to be a priority. Otherwise, it just won't happen. We don't just kind of drift into it. I think people are looking for community today. They're looking for a place to belong. The face-to-face human touch, hugs and tears cannot be replaced by FaceTime and WhatsApp. Joan and I receive videos every day of our three grandchildren. And I watch them two, three, four, sometimes ten times to make sure I'm getting every detail of every video of every grandchild. We were three months away from seeing Brixton in in Langley, and when we came back just a month ago, we stopped in and saw him for for one evening. Um, We had seen all his videos, but holding him and hearing him and touching him and smelling him and kissing him is a whole new level of getting to know someone. That's what community does for people. A former student with us at Matthew Training Center recently finished her university studies, but she was wandering away from the community and she was wandering away from Jesus. I was with her parents uh, about a month ago and uh, they told me the sad news that she's pregnant and she's facing a lot of challenges now. She has a call. She has a call towards cross-cultural missions. And she did not want to come to church and face people. She was ashamed. She was disappointed in herself. Her mom gently persuaded her that the community is the place that's going to help you. Don't reject that. And so she came. And Joan had an opportunity to, to talk with her and to minister to her and to speak love into her and to show her acceptance, give her words of encouragement. And then some of the other women came around her and did the same thing and said, we're here for you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to get through this together. She left being encouraged. And I think it was a step toward being transformed by and through her community. I think the worship team can come forward. I'm I'm going to close here. Community 
needs to hear about our pain. We all need to have a place to share our struggles. Community should be a place where I, am, where I can say, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. So, you want to put on your boots and follow Jesus this fall? I encourage you to take the initiative to find and join a community of Jesus followers. And start building trust into each other. Open your life. Be vulnerable. Share your failures, your needs. And you will see trans- transformation happening in your own life and in others as well. And the first point that we discussed today. Look for creative ways to take this transformative community to those outside who also need it and offer them a place to belong. A community is waiting to help disciple you and someone out there is waiting for you to help disciple them. That is part of following Jesus.